0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at the story of Joseph and we're not reading the story of Tamar and Judah, which is really good in Genesis 38. I talk about that a little bit too, but we're going to talk about Joseph and, and sexual harassment, lots of other stuff too. I'm on day seven of COVID recovery, feeling a lot better. Um, I hope you can maybe hear it in my voice. I'm thankful to have been uh, survived this and I hope you can too. I know it's a a deadly disease and I can see why it's so deadly. It really really stayed with me in a way that um, no other flu or any kind of other illness has ever really done for me. And so I'm thankful to be moving ahead with recovery. And thank you for all your prayers, those of you that prayed for me and, and are now praying for me. And hope you know I'm praying for you as you go through the things in life that you go through. Um, I think of of each of my listeners often. Um, there's not that many of you, and I'm thankful for each of you. And um, if you ever want to let me know about your life, please do through Twitter, DVD Peters on Twitter or runnermonk at gmail.com or some other way to... Get connected. Thanks. I'm not sure why our lectionary skips over chapter 38 of Genesis. Uh, We went from chapter 37, where Joseph is sold into enslavement by his brothers to the Ishmaelite Midianite traders, and they take him to Egypt and sell him again. Hopefully, for their sake, for for a profit. Um, so he is now a commodity, a commodity that is being bought and sold, traded um, like an animal, like a like the other supplies that they are bringing. And Joseph was not unique in this. Um, he would have been one of thousands of people sold in those markets in Egypt, the ancient world and the world up into very recently was driven by enslavement, Um, enslavement, uh, the institution of enslavement and the people that kept it rolling um, have, are, are the sources of most of what we see from ancient civilization today. We look at the pyramids built by Pharaoh. Well, not exactly by pharaoh by the enslaved peoples that he enslaved and so it is with pretty much every other major monument including uh our white house in our nation's capital and a few other government buildings there and many other buildings um, including the first uh, church in texas episcopal church in texas in matagorda Bay, Texas, um, our first church built with enslaved labor. So this is not that long ago, and yet Joseph's story comes to us uh, through the long hallway of time, but it's still very um, contemporary in many ways. And yet chapter 38 is skipped over, the story of Judah. This is Joseph's brother, half-brother, and Joseph's sister, Tamar, and all that unfolds there with them. That is skipped over in our lectionary. It's worth a read um, on your own. I invite you to read that, chapter 38 of Genesis, Um, a story that will boggle your mind and confound you uh, with its depth, with its prophetic words, and with its truth. And then we pick back up in chapter 39, back, flashback to Egypt. The narrator takes us back to Egypt to what's happening to Joseph. He sold into Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard, a high official in Pharaoh's government. And it says the Lord was with Joseph and he became successful. This uh, divine favor that is showed to Joseph is woven throughout his story. It seems like the worse people treat Joseph, the more, the better God treats him. Um, and the, the way God treats him better may not be seen as better from Joseph's perspective. He is given more and more responsibility. He is taken to new heights of influence and power from which then he is toppled. He rises quickly in leadership in Potiphar's house. Um, He's in charge of every single thing that happens in Potiphar's house. Every single thing. And so when this scenario happens with Potiphar's wife, we don't know her name. We're not really even sure about Potiphar's name. It's probably a title. Um, When Potiphar's wife says that she casts her eyes upon him, He's a good-looking guy, and she asks him to sleep with her. The euphemisms for sex abound in every language, including ours, um, and uh, they abound in Hebrew as well. And here, it's pretty clear what's happening in the story, even though it's all euphemistic, come lie with me, um, and other invitations. And Joseph makes it very clear that this is not something that he will do. He calls it a great wickedness and a sin against God. This is the first sign we have of Joseph's faith in the story. Um, I don't believe that we have any account of him expressing faith after he's sold and to this point. And it says that he, real, he recognizes that even though he's far away from his family, he's far away from the land of Israel, the land promised to his ancestors, to Abraham and his family, um, even though he's far away from the regional God, as gods were seen in those days as being very regional, like they didn't extend outside their territory or borders or city limits, um, even though he is far from home in so many ways, He's adopted a new language, a new identity. He has lost his connections to his past. And yet he says, how can I sin against God? The language of God in this text, um, I think we should take note perhaps that the narrator says that Yahweh is with him, the Lord. In the English Bibles, it's usually written out in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, and then here, he says a different word for God, probably a word that would translate better for the Egyptian listener, his, Potiphar's wife. Um, so the name of God expressed in English as L, capital O, capital R, capital D um, is different than the generic concept of God. And so this is, it is to this generic concept of God that probably has more resonance with Potiphar's wife or any Egyptian. He says, how can I sin against God? Um, The sin of this would be against God, Joseph recognized, not against Pharaoh as much, or against Potiphar as much as against God, this great wickedness. Um, When we look at women being treated as property in this time, We remember that 10th commandment from Mount Sinai, which happens after this, it says you shall not covet your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's slaves, your neighbor's stuff, or your neighbor's wife, um, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The idea that adultery was a sin against the husband um, was definitely true in the law codes of the time. So Joseph recognizes that, that this would be a sin against the husband, um, against Potiphar, against his employer, his enslaver. That's, that's sort of difficult to wrap your mind around, perhaps, or my mind. But even though um, that is true, and he recognizes that, the actual law of the, the land and the, of the time, he recognizes that this also goes against God. Um, as far as we know, there is no uh, commandment not to do this for Joseph in the religion of his of his life. Um, this is before the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is before um, that law is given by Moses. This is before we have long discussions about what is ethical and what isn't. Um, this seems to be woven into the fabric of the universe. This seems to be woven into human civilizations across cultures at the time, um, for Joseph's culture and for the Egyptian culture. We know they share a similar ethical base basis. We remember Abraham and Jacob when they go down to Egypt and the Pharaoh sees Sarah, Abram's wife, and says, um, wow, that's a pretty woman, I wonder if I can marry her. And Abram says, yeah, sure, go ahead. That's my sister. Go ahead, marry my sister to his wife, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh does. And then he has a dream and nightmares that he's done something wrong and he can't figure out what it is. And then it's he finds out that it's actually, he's married a woman that is married to another man. And that is against the law and against his own moral code. Um, so we see that consistent theme of morality at play. And I would argue that it goes back to that ideal in the Garden of Eden of Adam and Eve, the ideal for all humanity, two people that love each other and are in paradise together. They are naked and not ashamed. And that is the ideal of every um, romantic relationship. We all fall short of it. Adam and Eve didn't date anybody before they they got married. Um, They didn't have the same lives we have. Um, That is held up as an ideal for a lot of reasons. Um, That's how ideals work. They are to give us an image of what what perfection really is. And yet all of our human attempts at that ideal will always fall short, since it's an ideal that is unattainable um, in the concrete or objective way. But Actually, very much attainable in the abstract and subjective experience that we do um, join Adam and Eve in the garden in our relationships. And God blesses us that way. And so that is the one teaching on marriage that Joseph has of what is right or wrong when it comes to our sexual relationships. And that is what he cites. This would be a sin against God. And it doesn't end every day. She spoke to him day after day after day. Um, and I think our world has recognized the the dangers of sexual harassment, um, that it not only is not a harmless thing, uh, it is not some benign, I'm just kidding around, I'm just joking um, kind of thing. Sexual harassment in the workplace, which is the case for Joseph, um, is something that really drives uh, people to extremes. Um, It is not some innocuous thing. If you've ever been sexually harassed by someone, um, in this case, it's a woman with immense power over an enslaved person, Joseph. Um, So that power imbalance is what makes it really terrible and excruciating and hard to live with. Um, But sexual harassment is really awful, because there's no escape from it. And the person doing it can always claim, I'm just joking around. No big deal. I don't know why they're making such a big deal out of it. Um, and yet in this story, in Genesis, from the dawn of time, we can see it at play and how destructive it is. We can only imagine what Joseph is going through in this tortured everyday today existence. It says in the text, even as she speaks to him day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or be with her. Again, these euphemisms for sex that are abounding in the text. Um, and then it all comes to a head. It all comes to a dramatic conclusion, as all sexual harassment cases do. Um, there is this time of joking around and teasing and all the other little steps that add up to um, actual violence and in this case um, she grabs at him and she grabs hold of him at this point he has very little choice he's already made up his mind that he's not going to sin against god and so he runs Uh, people in that time in egypt it seems from what we can reconstruct from this story, they don't wear a lot of clothing. Um, They wear the bare minimum. If you ever lived in a hot place like Texas in the summer, you wear the bare minimum to get by. Um, And our clothing has a lot more fasteners and elastic, thank God, and other things that keep it working together. Um, It seems like what Joseph is wearing is probably a towel or what we would call a towel. Um, as we see depictions of Egyptians wearing, usually shirtless, uh, wearing a towel, um, we can imagine enslaved Egyptians, uh, although even though they might have dressed up as household um, servants, uh, we're probably not more dressed than that. So she grabs the one article of clothing he has on, his last shred of dignity and decency on this earth. And he runs, and so he runs outside, naked um a dramatic scene by any account um, immediately she screams that she is being attacked. Um, she points out that it is his race that has caused this. She says, "See, my husband, she blames her husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. The fact that she knows." about the Hebrews is quite significant. Um, The Hebrews at this time are a small tribe of 12 sons of Jacob and that's it. Like that's the whole thing. That's the whole tribe right there. Um, It's not that many people. And yet she knows something about them. And she has insinuated or declared that it is this racial identity Joseph has that is the problem. Um, This is something that people have done throughout the ages. Whenever we see something we don't like and we can identify it with a particular race of people or a different kind of character of people or some other identifying marker, um, then they stand for the whole group. And racism is taking um, something that is something humans do that we don't like, and identifying it with a race and saying it's because of the race that they are doing this. And this is what she does, insulting him, denouncing him. And so there's a panic in the household. um, And she accuses him of attempted sexual assault. Um, And the weird thing about this part of the story is that Joseph is caught, arrested, And Potiphar, who has immense power to kill slaves, um, that's not outside the bounds of what would happen to an enslaved person if they did something like this. Um, He's put in jail. It has led many to believe that perhaps Potiphar believed Joseph in the account, um, that he didn't believe that he had actually sexually assaulted his wife. Hard to know. It doesn't say in the story. But this is where Joseph ends up. In prison, he is um, in the dungeon, Potiphar's dungeon, perhaps in his own household or maybe somewhere else. But it's not a good place to be. He has risen; he has risen to heights of power in this household, and now is in the lowest dungeon. And yet, it says, "But the Lord was with Joseph, and st- showed him steadfast love." That God was loyal to Joseph even when no one else was loyal to him. Everyone had forsaken him. The the family that he had worked for, given his life for, had turned against him. And he is now accused of lying, accused of sexual assault, accused of all these things that he hasn't done. But it says the Lord was with him. And it tells me that no matter what happens to us, the Lord will be with us no matter what happens. Um, The human mind usually goes to the worst case scenario um, in times of stress and discomfort. And the one thing we can be sure of in worst case scenarios, and I can't think of a worse one than this for most people, uh, is that the Lord is going to be with us. His steadfast love will not depart from us. He will never leave you or forsake you, no matter where you go, no matter what happens, no matter what they say about you. The Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And that is the story, why we have the story of Joseph today. It's not because he was so good at everything or so skillful at all that he did. It's because God never left him, even though it seemed like everyone else had, even though it seemed, probably from Joseph's perspective, that even God had left him. And yet that was not the case. It seems like Joseph knows That God is with him, that God is watching, and that God is working behind the scenes in ways he can't even ask or imagine. Amen. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.